The Star Sport Podcast is brought to you by Access Credit Union. Access Credit Union, funding dreams for over 50 years. <laughs> and a new Irish record for Phil Healy, 22.99. Christy Cooney hands over the Sam McGuire Cup to Graham Canty, Cork All-Ireland Champions for the seventh time ever. Hello and welcome to the Star Sport Podcast. My name is Jack McCarran of the Southern Star and I'm joined by Star Sport Editor Kieran McCarthy. Before we kick things off, I'd just like to give a gentle reminder to our listeners and viewers to please rate, review and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and YouTube. The Star Sport Podcast is brought to you in association with our friends at Access Credit Union. Access Credit Union, where your bank really does matter. Choose a credit union, choose local, choose community. On this week's podcast, we'll be joined by four-time All-Ireland winning Cork goalkeeper Martina O'Brien, who just last week announced her retirement from inter-county football. The Balnascarty woman will continue to line out at club level for Clonakilty, but she's brought the curtain down on a remarkable decade-long stint with Cork, which also included six Division One league titles. We're also going to chat with Tom Savage of Three Red Kings about the current state of play for the West Cork contingent involved with both Ireland and Munster. In a Shannon's Jack Crowley made his Ireland senior debut against Fiji on Saturday, and he seems to be well-placed in the race to become Johnny Sexton's understudy ahead of next year's Rugby World Cup. And we'll get Tom's thoughts on Crowley's growing reputation but Kieran before we dive in to those conversations a quick roundup of some of the big West Cork sporting news making the headlines this week and first off the Balanascarty hurlers were beaten 15 points to 1-9 in the county semi-final by Kilshanig on Sunday putting an end to a memorable season but there's no doubt that they'll be disappointed with the prospect of facing yet another year without reaching a county final. Yeah, Brandon's Carty's way to get back into the Cork Junior A um, hurling championship final stretches stretched to 33, 34 years now. I think 89 was the last time they got there. So um, they lost to Kilshanig last weekend. And from reading the match report and reading their manager, Joe Ryan's um, reaction afterwards, the, the best team won. So there's no complaints whatsoever from Baldick up against a, a really good Kilshanig team that were worthy winners in Kilshanig now go on to the, to the County Junior A Hurling Final. But still, disappointment for, for Bannis Garty. They're back-to-back Carberry Junior A Hurling Champions and they were they were hoping to make an impression in this year's County Series and they beat Valley Rovers in the in, in the quarterfinal. But I think it's fair to say that they never hit the heights of their, their Carberry Junior A Hurling Final performance that day. They were on fire that day. They weren't as under game, as you could say, against Valleys and it did they just lost to the better team last weekend. So uh, disappointing into the season. But at least there's a consistency for Bell now. They're winning the winning West Cork year after year after year. And each year they're in the county series. It's, it's, it is more experience for them. So hopefully they can take the next step in the seasons to come. Okay, Kieran. I also want to briefly touch on Holly O'Sullivan's latest Inside Track column, which is available to read online right now just go to www.southernstar.ie forward slash sport and you'll see Hawley's column up the top of the sport homepage and basically what Hawley has done is he's picked out 
a number of players who he feels have done enough this past club season to warrant at least some consideration from Cork boss John Cleary. And a number of West Cork players have made Hawley's list, including Cora's Brian O'Driscoll. Yeah, no surprise to see Hawley pick out Brian O'Driscoll as one to watch for the Cork senior football team for next year. And Brian had a, had a really good year again. Um, he was very strong in 2021 with Ty McCorrigan. He captained him to the Carberry Junior A football title. And this season, Brian was probably the best player with the Carberry senior football team that went all the way to the county championship quarterfinals. And I think what was important this year is, is that Brian did it at the senior football championship level with Carberry. And it's now very, very hard for the, the Cork senior football management team to ignore him. And they won't ignore him. Um, the odds are that we'll see Brian in the, 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 the Cork senior football panel and we'll see then, can he can he take his chance? Because there's no doubt that Brian is a really talented footballer, but he's been off the, the Cork panel now for, Jesus, what, four or five years I think in one of McCarthy's first year in in um, in charge of Cork, he dropped Brian off the panel. But go back before that, like Brian was a really talented underage footballer and a really, really highly taught of footballer as well with lots of potential. But we had Brian on on this podcast last year, and I think he he knows himself. He made a couple of mistakes and um I suppose coming up through the ranks. But he's he's a different footballer now. He's after he's after maturing on and off the pitch, and I think the time is right for. For Brian O'Driscoll to get his second chance because if you do get Brian O'Driscoll playing well, um, he will be an asset to Cork. He's a big, strong footballer. You could see him fitting in there to the half back line, like Harley says. So I think this is one to watch this space. Another of the West Cork contingent that Hawley mentioned is Castle Havens. Carl Maguire, who's been growing his reputation exponentially over the last number of seasons, Kieran. 100%. And I think what could help Cotton McGuire, I'm not sure if, if he'd be called into the Cork panel or not this year, the fact that John Cleary is the, the, the Cork senior football manager. He's a fellow Castlehaven clubman, so he'll know all about uh, Cotton McGuire. And and John was only involved with the, the Haven footballers uh, last season under um, under, under James McCarthy. So um, he'll know all, all about Cotton. Of course, Rory McGuire's inside there. We have Brian Hurley inside there as well. So there's a, a Castlehaven contingent. Um, no doubt about it, Colin McGuire had a, had a good campaign for Castlehaven. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see if he gets a nod with Cork. But even, even if he doesn't, there was a season of progression for, for Colin McGuire. Um, he's he's important to Castle he's important to Castlehaven. So um I think he'll be happy with his with his own performance, even though the Haven will, will have been disappointed to bow out at the county semi-final stage. And when you look what happened to Nemo last weekend, um, it's just been kind of been, it's been a funny old season. Castlehaven just went under the same Finbars who who did underperformed against Nemo Rangers, and Nemo did underperformed against against Clamell Commercials in the in the Munster Senior Club last weekend. So I think it just goes to show that there's not a lot between the top teams in Cork there at the moment. One more West Cork footballer mentioned by Hawley in his column is his own clubmate, and that's Carberry Rangers. Keelan Scannell, who Hawley says is definitely one to keep an eye on. Maybe it's too soon for him this year, but John Cleary would be remiss not to be keeping an eye on Keelan. Yeah, the, the Keelan, Keelan Scannell has been a, so a very promising young footballer for the last couple of years. He was involved with the, the, the Cork underage teams as well, and he's um, he's made that step up to the senior football of Calgary Rangers, and he was one of their their best performers this year. And it was a good year for Carby Rangers. They got the, the show back on the road. Um, I know teams don't like using the word transition, but Carby Rangers are very much a team in transition is there as um, Declan Hayes brings some young guns on board. And Keelan, Keelan Scannell is one of those and he'd be quite happy with his, with his, his lot this year. And uh, as Hardy 
alluded to, one of the top, um, one of the players that, that stood out for Hawley in, in this year's championship. Um, maybe one more so for the future with Cork, but it's uh, it's good for Keelan that his name is being put out there and that, that he's on the radar for people like Hawley. Yeah, and as I mentioned, you can read Hawley's full column. He's picked eight players who he thinks John Cleary should be keeping an eye on, and that's on our sports section on the website right now. Right now, even www.southernstar.ie forward slash sport. And lastly, Kieran, the Carberry Hurlers are on the hunt for a new manager following Charlie Vaughan's decision to step down. Where does this leave the division's hurlers going into next season? And just in general, what's the outlook for divisional size at the moment, given the ever-changing landscape of club, football and hurling across Cork? So, yeah, Charlie Vaughan has stepped down as Carberry senior hurling manager. So, the Carberry board will be on the lookout for a, for a new man to, to lead the Carberry hurlers. And it's probably fair to say, too, that the, the, the hurlers were overshadowed by the Carberry footballers this year. It was the Carberry footballers with them that superb run to the county quarterfinals while the, the season wasn't as memorable for the, for the Carberry senior hurlers, who also had that new format this year. So, they had more games than, than, in, than in previous seasons. So, it'll be interesting to see what happens with the with both Carby divisional teams in, in our recent um, Carby G News in the Southern Star, they alluded to it'll be a conversation to be had at the, the upcoming Carby convention, what the future is for, for, for both teams. Um, both teams will line up next year. Um, the the Carby footballers will be looking to, to I suppose, build on what they achieved this year. They, they played six games. They won five in their divisional section to win the Tide Crowley Cup. So it was re- really was a season of progression for the Carby senior footballers and they'll be keen to keep that going and push it on even next year. Whereas the the Carby hurlers are starting from a, I suppose, from 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 a lower base. You know they want to get thing things up and running. Um, how the how the calendar will look in twenty twenty three will be interesting too. There is some talks that the divisional championships are, as in the divisional Premier Senior Championships could be pushed forward earlier in the year to April or May from their from their summer date this year. Um, I'm not sure if that'll be a, a wise move. I know the calendar is so condensed at the moment, but if you bring forward those divisional um those, those divisional county paper championships to earlier in the year, what it does then for that team coming out of that, it's just a bigger gap before they get to play the, the club side in the quarterfinal. So I think it's one to watch over the next couple of weeks when we see the schedule for the the twenty twenty three Cork GEA calendar. I was on mute there, Kieran. So uh, there was some dead air there. Don't don't worry about it. Listeners don't notice such things. But uh, just a question I wanted to put to you before we hear from Martino O'Brien, and it's unrelated to West Cork Sport, but I still wanted to get your thoughts on it. And that is this big box office interview that your hero Cristiano Ronaldo has given to another of your heroes, um, Piers Morgan, on some channel deep down in the sky channel guide so Ronaldo basically has come out and slated the club that's paying him I would guess a half a million pounds or so a week and um, because he's not playing basically that seems to be my reading of it he's making out that there's a lot more to it than that but to me it's as simple as he's not getting his game so he's decided to do this interview but what do you as a long time United and I guess a long time Ronaldo fan make of this whole flare up in the last few days. This is what happens when two egos collide. When when Piers Morgan and Ronaldo, um, it's it, it's a very 
odd friendship in some ways. And I've, I've, I've seen some clip there. Like we've been teased with the clips over the last couple of days when Piers Morgan asked Ronaldo, um, like what would interview now? And I think Ronaldo replies, because I like you. You know, it's just this really weird um, romance between uh, Ronaldo and Piers Morgan. So unlikely. But like you said, it, it really is box office. Um, I think for Ronaldo, he just, like I said, ego, It's he's in the dying embers. Well, not the dying embers. He's in the, the closing stages of a remarkable career. And it's like he's fighting against the dying of the light. He just doesn't want to exit stage left. And the reality is, that he is yesterday's man for for a large part for Man United. Like he he's not part of the future. Um, I think he's proven this season as well that he's not the player that he was. You know, kind of. I know you've the Ronaldo fanboys out there saying that he needs to start. He needs to play, but he has started in. I think it was four games in a row there, and he was missing chance after chance after chance. There was chances being put in the plate for him, and he still wasn't putting them away. So. What an incredible career. But I think his time at United was, was coming to an end anyway because he's not the player that they need to move forward. And this now, it's, it's bringing, it all to, bringing it all to one huge head because it has to be sorted now. And, but even just the timing, like young Garnacho, what an incredible goal to beat Fulham. Like, he should have been in the back pages of those, those Monday papers. And next thing, old man Ronaldo comes out with his, with his um, kind of... Shedding his crocodile tears and uh, and all these these allegations that he's making about United and they come out on Sunday night it's started to be teased and now he's the story again and I think that's what he likes he's a, he's a man who knows how to put himself at the center of the story it's like when he when he when he um he left Old Trafford before the end of the Spurs game he knew that would steal the headlines he knows when he goes up to the before the game the Sky cameras when he doesn't shake Carragher's hand or he doesn't shake Neville's hand. He knows exactly what he's doing and he knows exactly what he's done here as well. He's made himself the story. He made, he's made himself relevant. Um, but I think this will come back to bite him in the arse because I just don't know how United can continue their relationship with him. I don't know how he can play for Man United again after saying that he's no respect for Eric Ten Hag. And to be honest, at, the, at this stage now, I'd much prefer to hop on the Eric Ten Hag train than I do on, on the Ronaldo train. The Ronaldo train is slowing down and it's about to stop. The Ericton Hag train is pouring forward and it's going to a, a better destination. So thanks for the memories, Ronaldo. But I think it's time to exit stage left and say goodbye to Old Trafford. Just a final point on that then. You say thanks for the memories. How do you feel this affects his United legacy amongst, say, United fans in particular? Like, Does it tarnish it or will it all be forgotten about in two years when he retires and he comes back on some kind of a retirement tour to come out and wave to the fans or something to that effect will he be welcomed back in two years three years once he finally hangs him up or has this soured the United fans relationship with CR7 I think it has to sour to some point you know it's such an, a, a messy exit in fairness some of the stuff he's saying like you know about the Glazers and he's kind of shining a light on how United have stagnated in recent years and I think that's something that all football fans have seen the fact United for the last 10 years They've done very, very little and, and the club has gone backwards. So in terms of highlighting them and, and kind of slating the, the Glazers and and so on, like you can see why he why he's done that. But it's 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 just a vehicle that he's using, Piers Morgan, and his timing of it, and just some of his comments are just kind of they they go go beyond the beyond the point of no return, you know, to to say to use the word betrayal, you know, that's such a strong word. That's why I'm saying like with, with Tin Hag, I just don't see how there's a there's a return for Ronaldo under him, but has it tarnished his legacy? Probably a small bit, but players have left under a cloud before, and you know, kind of, we all look through with nostalgia. It's always rose tinted glasses. So fans will probably look back in last season more than this season. They look back in his first stint 
more than more than his second second stint. So while it will be a messy exit now, he'll still go down as a Man United legend. But I don't think we'd see a Ronaldo statue outside or or, or Trafford at, at some stage in the future. But if you go back over the years, like Wayne Rooney tried to leave United um during his career as well, and he still looked like still looked on as a United legend. You know, Roy Keane had a had his exit on, under a cloud from Old Trafford. David Beckham, the same. Ferguson kind of said enough was enough. Um, it's happened with the likes of Stam and Venice to Roy. All these really, really good players have, have left um, under kind of circumstances that they probably wouldn't have liked to, to leave the club. And so, okay, Ronaldo is a, one of the greatest footballers ever. Um, he's, he's a United legend. And it tarnishes, tarnishes it to some degree. But sport is fickle, Jack. Sport is fickle. And after all, after all that I've said... Is there a chance that Ronaldo could let off United in January? Of course there is. It's football. Money talks because who's going to take him? You know, kind of. And how is he going to leave him? What's his exit strategy going to be? And when United tear up his contract and if United want to sell him, would he want United to pay up what he's owed? Like 500 grand a week is ridiculous money for a for a, for a 37-year-old footballer on the way. And so um, football, as Ferguson said, bloody hell. Well, Cristiano chose Pierce Morgan to give his explosive interview to another legend who lined out for a team in red has chosen to give her explosive interview to you, Kieran, and the Star Sport podcast because Cork footballing legend, Cork goalkeeping legend, Martina O'Brien has hung up the gloves after an extremely distinguished career, four All-Ireland titles and a plethora of other honours. Um uh, a, a sad moment I guess but she's going out on her own terms and she still has plenty of good years ahead of her in the club scene with Clonic Hilty That's a great point there Jack and she makes this um, she makes this point herself she's going out on her own terms she reveals in our chat coming up that she always knew that this season was going to be her last season she's she's busy w- with her business football takes up an awful lot of time and she just couldn't keep going at, at, at the pace that she was but what a legacy Martina O'Brien leaves. Um, I know she'd have preferred to kind of bow out quietly and exit stage left with not much fanfare, but when you're a footballer that's given such service to the Cork senior football team like she has, that's a 10 years at the top with Cork. Like she deserves to she deserves a very, very fond farewell. She's four All Ireland, six National Leagues, I think it's five or six Munster titles as well. She was the Cork senior football captain in 2021. She was the Munster LGFA player of the year. In, in 2020, she's one of the, the top goalkeepers in the country for for so so many seasons. So it, it's only fitting that um that Martina gets the, the accolades and, and praise that she does deserve because if you've ever talked to anyone about Martina O'Brien, they always highlight just how much of a leader she is, how much experience she has. That's on and off off the pitch. Um, even before with the West Cork Senior Ladies Football Team, and we've had some of her teammates on the podcast. They said you could always hear Martina behind them always talking, always encouraging. So she's a, been very much a, a, a big part of Cork's success over the years. And I think her experience will be missed. And she's just a, a great character as well. So while we wish her all the best for the future and congratulate her on a, on a superb, magnificent career with Cork. She's not going anywhere. She'll line out with the Clannock Kilty footballers in the Senior County Championship. She'll line out with uh, Benescarty, Camogie team as well. So... There's a lot more to come in the club scene from Martina Brown, and she's looking forward for that. But as 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 we start off this conversation, I asked Martina O'Brien, what were the reasons behind her stepping back from the intercounty scene? We're joined now on the podcast by Martina O'Brien to chat about her 
her recent decision to step back from intercounty football. Martina, are the tissues ready here? I hope you have the tissues ready there because this is going to get quite emotional over the next 10 or 15 minutes. All the crying's done, it's fine. <laughs> oh, good stuff. Um, just take me back to so, like I said, you've stepped back from intercounty football with Cork after 10 years with the seniors. What's the what's the thinking behind that decision? Um, I suppose there's a few things really like um definitely in the last year, two years, I suppose, since kind of COVID and everything, um, work kind of coming back to normal. Um, it's just ramped up really like in uh time, time was the biggest thing, I suppose. Time and probably the body wasn't able to do as much as it could do. Um, but I suppose the time and that kind of interconnected, you didn't have time to maybe give yourself enough recovery, which then impacted on you going to training and matches and everything a little bit more tired than I usually would have been. So, um, yeah, it just, I it definitely would work. I just, I was, I was kind of not giving enough hours to it in the day, really like, um, you know, there'd be, there'd be kind of gigs coming up and jobs coming up that I'd be saying no to because I, I knew I hit football. Um, and there comes a stage to that that you just can't, you know, be doing that anymore. And I'm self-employed as well. So, you know, I suppose you can't be turning down, down work every second week because um, people just aren't going to come back to you then, you know. And, and if you are trying to build your business and, and you're looking to the future, football is going to be gone at some time. So I suppose I had to really sit down and think about it. And then, look, the body just was wasn't wasn't recovering enough I think um since 2018 I don't think we really have had an off season because uh from 2018 we rolled into 29 season uh 2019 and then 2019 we rolled into 2020 and I suppose then when COVID happened we just kind of trained through that you know as in you were training at home by yourself to keep yourself occupied more than anything um at the end of 2020 then we had our inter-county season and then we rolled back into 2021 and I suppose in 2021 ended pretty abruptly for us, you know, like uh, me beat us in the All-Ireland semi-final and that was a hard one to take. Um, and then work was really busy. So I suppose I came into 2022 thinking this is definitely going to be the, the last season. Like there, there's there's not going to be, I just can't give another one. So I was going going into it kind of knowing myself that it was going to, it was going to be my last one. That realisation. So it seems like you, you've come to terms with it like, um, with that, that you are going to step back even before the season, like you, like you said, there you you knew going into this season it was going to be your last. So did that almost give you time to say that long goodbye? Because it wasn't a very abrupt end. You went out on your own terms. Yeah, I think that's kind of the way I wanted it anyway. Um, whenever I was going to retire, um, that I wanted it to be kind of on my own terms and not saying kind of look, <laughs> your surplus to requirements. You know, you you can leave. Um, but I had made a decision anyway. I kind of I knew uh, at the start of the year that I was going to enjoy everything that came that like the, the season just gone. So and I think I did. You know, every training session, every match, every you know, I just enjoyed the environment a bit more. Um, really had like a lot of fun. I enjoyed all the girls. I just enjoyed everything that we did. Really that bit more, knowing that probably at the end of it, I was, I was, I was, I was going and I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be doing it again. Like even the, like the last time we played in Co Park, the last, you know, you, you just, there's going to be a last for everything. And I think I had kind of built myself up to enjoy all those moments a bit more. Um, and I did look the, the year ended, I suppose the year didn't end great for us. And obviously nobody wants to go out the way we did, but it is what it is. Sport it is what it is. And 
I was happy with I'm happy with my decision in the end of the day. Like ten years with the Cork seniors, incredible success over that time. I want to take you back to twenty thirteen. You were working in Kerry at the time, and the Din Cork selector Justin McCarthy gave you a phone call and said, "You come in here with the with the Cork seniors." What was it like for a for a young player going into that setup under the legendary Eamon Ryan? But Elaine Hart, I think she'd seven All Irelands at the time. You'd everybody looked at that dress for Martina. It was just living legends of of Cork football. So what was it like as a as a young footballer heading into that setup? Oh, like it was. I suppose it was it was exciting to start. Um, it was definitely scary. Um, I kind of when I got the phone call, I was like, "Really? Do you, do you really want me to to come in?" But um, look, once once I went in there, like if business as usual, the girls didn't they didn't take a notice. They you were in the panel now. You were in. You were training. Do what you have to do. Um, because everyone had their job. So like it, it was it was overwhelming at the start, I suppose, but you just you just got to grips with it. But everyone was so nice, everyone was so good. They they did give me my um kind of I suppose um period to adapt, like in fairness, and um probably were a bit more tolerable than they would have been other players coming in. But uh no, it was it was certainly it was daunting, but like all those girls they had what, as you said, seven, eight all Ireland's at that stage and um, they were also welcoming, and they they just open arms. Do you know that that group of players was they were just phenomenal, and um, no, it was it was something I'll always remember. I suppose that moment that I did go to training, the first training was was scary time, all right, but uh, we got over it. And then Elaine Hart stepped away, I think, in early twenty fourteen. So you you took ownership of that Cork number one jersey, and you held it for so many years. But I know twenty fourteen was a great year for Cork football. But you told me before, Martina, that you found that year quite hard, like kind of um, that you were very self critical of, of of yourself, even though you wore the Cork number one, even though Cork wore winning all around them. Like, did you were probably probably very like I said, they're very critical of 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 your own performances. Yeah, I I think it was fine coming in the middle of 2013, you know, you were kind of given your chance to find your feet and, and whatnot. And I suppose when 2014 started in, there was more of an expectation that, look, you're here now, you've had a bit of time. And like, there was no one saying that to me, that was my own expectation, I suppose. And that's the kind of what I put on myself, um, that I've I've had my time to kind of settle in, so I should really be doing a bit more. Um, so yeah, 2014, even though we had a phenomenal year and like the way it ended was, was unbelievable but I suppose looking back in that year it was tough because it was my first real full year um and there was expectations I suppose from myself but also from outside that yeah you're taking the jersey now from one of the best goalkeepers to ever play like you know so um that was a tough year but I learned a lot from that I suppose and um going into 2015 and and onwards that I suppose that year really set me up because I did learn a lot um, and I was given the, I was given I was given the time and the help from everybody else around me to, to kind of settle into into the jersey as well. They're real glorious for for Cork football. Like you won four Ireland's in the bounce 2013, 14, 15, and sixteen. So does any one of those stand out above the others? Um, well, I suppose you have to say twenty fourteen, just the way that it ended, like um, being what what it was down eight ten points down and maybe twelve minutes to go. Like that will always be. A memory I don't think I'll ever forget even the feeling when they kind of got that goal after half time and you kind of having that initial thought that oh god we might actually lose this year to that going out of your head straight away and like the I still get that the the kind of butterflies in your stomach when you think about um the points going over this 
Emer Scali's goal, Rona's goal, us leveling the match, and then the the feeling afterwards. You know, you'll just you'll always have that, and you'll always it it'll always be there. Um, I think that's probably one of the most special ones. And um, 2016, I suppose the last time we won a two would have been would have been another special one. But to be honest, everyone is going to like four All Irelands. You can't really pick one out being better than the other either. I mean, we're, we're lucky to have one, never mind. I'm lucky to have one, never mind to have four. I suppose for three of those All-Irelands under the legendary Eamon Ryan um, and an amazing man, what he did for, for Cork football in general. What was it like to be a player under Eamon? Again, I have to use the word being very lucky. Uh, there is so many players in Cork that that probably, like they, they maybe didn't get the chance to play around that time or, you know, we had so many good players that, you can't have more, you know, you had 35 on a panel, so you weren't going to have any more. Um, so I felt incredibly lucky, I suppose, and especially looking back at it now and what Eamon achieved with that team and just the man that he was um, to be have any involvement um, in a team like that and even get to know Eamon and, and um, get to train under him, like incredibly lucky. And I think everyone who did get that chance realises how how lucky they were. Um because he he really was he was incredible on the pitch and off the pitch and if you ever had a chat with him and you just knew he was he was special you know he he just he had no nothing about it. he was just the man that you saw in front of him was was that he 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 had there was nothing else um so yeah it I I think incredibly lucky is is the word that I'd use and such success in those early years like I said those four All Irelands in your first four season but it's been a barren spell for Cork, you could say, in the All-Ireland in senior title-wise since um, that last win in 2016. What was it like going from that, Martina, from coming into a setup where you're so used to winning All-Irelands? And then in the last couple of years, Cork have just been close, but just not close enough. Yeah, it, it look, I suppose when you're winning, you think you're going to keep winning. Like, you know, I suppose you're very naive that way. Um, 2017, then to be fair, I think looking back, like I can sit back now and say 2017 to 2021 we just we were there or thereabouts like we were still we were still pushing um we got to what we got to the 2018 or Ireland final 2020 so it's not like we fell off the face of the earth either I think we were very critical of ourselves over the past couple of years um and I suppose I can look back now and say look we achieved we didn't achieve what we wanted to achieve but we definitely like we were there or thereabouts um and it is unfortunate and there's many things, I suppose, we met a Dublin team that were just taking over um, uh, at the time and they they were very formidable. And then look at the Mead team now, you know, you're just, they, they, they're they reminiscent of his Cork team starting off back when we won back in um, about 15 years ago, you know. So um, it, it I, I, I think at the time it was incredibly hard. Um, you're coming from winning All-Irelands to not <laughs> it's it's very hard to see that and um we were very critical of ourselves I think and and rightly so at those times that we should have been doing better um but there was that transitional period for a little bit of time but we hated that word too I suppose transition was wasn't something we wanted to see ourselves doing I think we look looking back I think we did as much as we could look could we have won another All-Ireland maybe if if um other circumstances had gone our way but Look, the the underage is going like Cork are winning every year in 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 some in nearly all grades. So you think that conveyor belt should really be um coming to the four and senior? It hasn't. Um, 
probably something that they need to look at and 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 work on. But look, there's talent there. There's always going to be talent in, in, in Cork. I think there's there's a lot of work going on in different divisions and, and you see um definitely in the West Cork division, I suppose you have these um the, the development squads and all that kind of stuff, they can keep those going and, and make proper competitions out of them. Um, I'm sure the same is going on in North Cork, East Cork um, and Mid Cork, but I know West Cork are, are doing great work with those. So if you can keep those going and keep those um, rolling onto the county teams, then, I mean, there should probably be a smooth transition from one to the other. Um, I, I've no doubt Cork will, will be where they want to be. Maybe not next year, maybe not the year after that. Who knows? But they definitely have the talent for it. That's actually a great point, Martina. It's coming off the all, all the minor success over the last couple of years, but that step up from minor to senior, like it, it, it is a big gap. So what can be done almost to, to help the players take that next step? Because we don't have under 20, under 21 football in, 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 in ladies football. We don't have the, the, the senior B set up. And it is a big step and a big ask of young, young players to come off of a minor team and really make an impact straight away. Yeah, not many minors have done it really like I suppose in the last while there Cochet. Um you get you get some some incredible girls like that, but not like the physicality is totally different now. Um the fitness levels, you know, you, you're definitely gonna be taking at least two years where you might have to kind of give your, your body the chance to to adapt. Um I do think they need some form of a competition that bridges that gap from from minor to senior. Um now I know in, in maybe the junior intermediate grades it'll be marginally easier for teams to take their minors out and, and bring them integrate them into their their senior teams but I think at senior level it's it's just too hard so they're gonna they're gonna have to look at it I think you're gonna lose a lot of girls to a lot of talented girls to, to uh, they're just going to they're not going to play football because they might not get onto the senior team straight away so you're losing that talent that might actually peak in their 20s um whether it's an under 20s competition under 21 they just need something and, and something that's actually going to be viable. Um, now, it, I suppose you see with a lot of teams that their their minors come straight off minor and come into the senior setup. Um, so there might be problems with those those players doing too much, but they have to sit down and look at it at this stage, I suppose. Look, you see the GA doing it. They do it well. Maybe I know there's been a lot of controversy over the last couple of years about under 20s grade, under 21, minor, under 17. But like I think we do have to take um, some tips from them or, or, or look at it and see how they develop their younger players and how they manage to kind of keep them and, and bring them on to the senior ranks. Um, I wouldn't really, I suppose I don't have the answers, but I do, I do think we need to look at it. Well, that's, a, that's a very good point. Um, but even though it's the, the end of Martina O'Brien in a Cork jersey, the good news for Clannacilty football and Bell Camogie is that there's no end in sight. So, is, is that the, the plan over the next couple of years to give your all back to the clubs? Oh God, yeah. I I like I can't wait. Um I don't know how much they look forward to me coming back because I think I'm a bit of a nuisance when I get back to training and screaming at everybody and giving out. And uh no, it'll be nice. It'll be actually it'll be the first time in a long time that I'll be able to actually I I can't even remember last time I played a league game for, for Clan or Bell. Um in Camogie, I'd say I've played a handful of games in the last four or five years. So it'll actually be nice to to start from the start, go back to training. Um, and do you know what? There's there'll be that bit less pressure as well. You're not running and racing. Um, that's that's the sole focus. It will be club. So um, it'll be nice, and hopefully they'll uh, they'll enjoy me being back. <laughs> and look into the future. Is is coaching management a sort of facet of the game that you're interested in getting involved in? 
Um, I think so. I suppose, you know, when you leave um, a setup like Intercounty or a club or whatever it is, I think if it's very hard to, to leave that environment um, and that kind of unit, that group environment, that, that closeness that you get from a team. Um, I think coaching is the, the next best thing, really. Like it's, you still get that buzz from, from the winning. Look, you, you get that, you get that team environment. Um, like I, I suppose I see it at the moment I'm, I'm doing um, pitch side physio and, and working with teams that you get to observe, observe those sides of it. And, I really like what I've seen, I suppose, from the kind of coach aspect of it, the management aspect of it, that you still get the ability to be, you you get the enjoyment of of being in a team and being involved with them. Now, albeit, I suppose you're not getting that competitive side, you're not out in the pitch, that is hard, and it's hard not to be able to do that, but I think you still get get the same kind of feeling out of it. So yeah, it, it's something that, look, I look at, I definitely, I wouldn't have any experience in coaching and I, I suppose there's a lot of things I need to do before even thinking about that but uh, yeah it's definitely something I want to get involved with and um, maybe not right away <laughs> because that would take up a lot of time too so um, maybe in the next two or three years we might we might think about doing that. Is that about the competitive element um, to get something you missed like when you hear that, that, that the Cork team is back training they're going back well maybe not the pre-season training because we know how hard that is but when you hear they're, <laughs> when, when the when the gang when the band is getting back together for the 2023 season and you're looking at your football boots in the corner saying Jesus did I did I, did, did I make the right decision do you think you're going to get that itch to say okay you know kind of have, have I made the right decision here or are you so kind of no this is the right thing I've called it early and I'm so happy with the, with the call I've made I think a bit of both, to be honest. I think when you definitely not at the moment. I'm glad I'm I'm tucked in at home at uh, seven o'clock in the evening when you hear those, they're going out to the gym or they're doing something else. So I'm happy enough at the moment. But I think I think when it comes to the competitive side of it, when the games start, when uh, league matches start, when when championship gets underway, um, it's it's that kind of stuff you'll miss because it's that competitive edge that it's it's the training, it's it's going to training, it's it's that environment that you miss, like it's it's not the physical training itself you know sometimes it's it's really just the environment and it's the it's the competitiveness of training you go to training and you know you've championship in two weeks time you know training is going to be intense you know people are going to bring their a game and you know you're going to have to match that so those are the things i suppose you'll miss um at the moment no but i i do think it's it's inevitably going to be there when i see those when i go follow the girls and when i know that they have a match coming up at the weekend or they have a league match and you're going to see it you'll you'll get that kind of sense of um sadness i suppose but um i think i'm still okay with my decision i think i when it comes to it i will be okay um because i know what they've had to do to get to that level so it's hard that's hard that's hard to get to their level so um no i think overall i'll be content I'm going to finish this conversation on a high and I want you, Martina, to tell me what was the best thing about playing for Cork? <laughs> there, look, there's been so much. You could write a book about what you'd love from it. Um, it's It has to be, for me, the people and the girls, um, the people that I've met, like, uh, Jesus, even the, the ladies that have been involved with us, that have been looking after us, the likes of Bridget O'Brien, um, Joe Shirky, Sheila Dennehy this year like those people that you meet you'll never forget them the girls that I've played with like you just every single individual has given you something um and you'll always have you'll always remember that person and you'll have that personal connection with them um and I think it's those things they're the best things 
it look I have medals and I'm really really glad I can I can leave saying that but it's the experience that I've had with the bunch of girls and there's been I suppose different bunches over the years but um every single one of them have have I suppose impacted my life in a positive way so that's what I really take out of it I I I, I'll never forget those people and I think you'll always meet them you'll have that you'll have the the crack and the laugh and you can always have a memory um from them from it that that you'll be able to chat about so yeah it's 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 that it's the people really brilliant thank you so much Martina gone but never to be forgotten (laughs) the star sport podcast is brought to you by access credit union access credit union funding dreams for over 50 years Here and over the years on this very podcast, we've discussed the rise of West Cork rugby and the influence it's had on the current Munster setup and the Irish setup as well, both in the male and female games. The names we usually talk about are the likes of Gavin Coombs, Josh and Fanine Witchley and others. And not to say that we've overlooked Jack Crowley's rise, but it's probably someone we haven't spoke about in as much depth. And all of a sudden... It looks like he may well be Johnny Sexton's understudy ahead of next year's Rugby World Cup. Deanna Shannon Mann made a senior Ireland debut against Fiji on Saturday and very much looked the part. And in a few moments, we're going to hear from Tom Savage of Three Red Kings to talk about Jack's debut, as well as the other West Cork contingent involved with Ireland and in Munster's win over South Africa last week. But Jack's rise has been remarkable in the last number of weeks oh it's absolutely incredible all of a sudden jack crowley is one he's in the conversation as one of, as one of the, the heirs to johnny sexton's throne because with sexton stepping aside after the world cup next year somebody has to take that jersey in like so joey carberry has been there for the in and about there for the last couple of years but just for one reason or another an injury being a huge part of it that joey carberry just hasn't kicked on um so Jack Crowley's name is really firmly in, in that conversation. Um, like you said, there, he made his debut, came off the bench um, after 46 minutes against Fiji the last day. And he looked so at home on the big stage. He looked so comfortable there. He nailed two conversions. He just um, just looked so comfortable there. And talking to the people around Jack Crowley from, from Bandon who've seen his progression, they've always said that he's always been able to, to take that next step, whether it's with Bandon under 16 to under 18, whether it's, it's with Munster, whether it's, it's with the Ireland days or the Ireland Emerging Talent team, whatever challenge he's set, he just rises to the challenge. Um, so it's a very exciting time for him. And especially with the game coming up this weekend against Australia on Saturday night, um, Joey Carberry has been gone back to Munster. Um, again, injuries, but unfortunate, unfortunate to him. Johnny Sexton is in a race against time. So all of a sudden, are we possibly looking at Jack Crowley even stacking against Australia or at least playing some part again, which would be incredible. Like, um, And it really puts him in the conversation for, for Ireland going into 2023, which is a World Cup year. And on this podcast, I think we've always spoken about Gavin Coombs and how strong he's been and he's had he's made his couple of appearances for Ireland and he impressed for Ireland A's in, in New Zealand um, during the summer in, in the, the, the tour down there. But all of a sudden, and I actually asked Tom, Tom Savage this, and this is with the greatest respect to Gavin and Fadeen, but is Jack Crowley's debut against Fiji almost the most important moment we've seen in West Cork rugby in, in, in recent years? Because 
Jack now is so close to that Ireland rugby team. And you can see a pet for, for, for Jack Crowley becoming a permanent fixture on the squad and possibly even taking a jersey in the Saturn team over the next 18, 24 months. So hugely exciting time for, for the Inishenan men. Great, great time too for, for Bandon Rugby Club because one of his brothers still lines out with, with Bandon. Both his uncles, uncles on both sides of his family played with Bandon Rugby. His father Faulkner played with, with Bandon. So he's very much very much a part of Bend and he came up through the obviously came up through the ranks there as well. So they're hugely proud of of what um, Jack Crowley has achieved. Then Tom Savage, friend of the show from from the Three Red Kings. My my first question I asked him, Jack, is it are we allowed to get excited about Jack Crowley now? Delighted to have Tom Savage of Three Red Kings back on the Star Sport podcast this week to chat all things rugby, and we have a lot to get you. And I'm going to start off. Off Tom with Jack Crowley. He's the, the man who came through the ranks of Bandon Rugby Club and Bandon Grammar. And look at him now, one of the hottest prospects in Irish rugby and just off the back of his Ireland senior debut against Fiji. Are we allowed to get excited, Tom? Very much so. I, I think looking at Jack Crowley, he has been a guy who's been kind of on the, on the, on the come up for a while. Uh, you look at his skill set, you look at what he's achieved in the game t- to date. Like, he has been the star player for uh, an Irish under-20 side. He has been a guy who has dominated like that level. He got into the Munster Academy in year one. He, uh, like coming up on after his first year out of school, he gets uh, promoted to a senior deal after his first year in the academy. He is a guy who has just, the, the sky is the limit. You know, you look at these played European rugby, he's done well there. This is a guy who has just, uh, for me, he has everything. And international rugby was an inevitability. And I, I think that he has lived up to that level now. And for, for me, he's a guy who has, like, especially when you look at his, his, his potential, mm-hmm. limitless, limitless. I want to phrase this right, because in the last couple of years of West Cork, we've been so lucky, the likes of Gavin Coombs has come through to win a couple of caps. Finine Richley won a, a, a senior cap as well. And obviously Darren Sweetham going back um, a good few years as well. But in terms of potential, is Jack the one we can really get excited about? Because I'm thinking there's no heir apparent to Johnny Sexton just yet. There's been a couple of people auditioning for that role. And obviously a Joey Carberry is um, probably at the top of that queue for the last couple of years. But it seems like if things go the way that they are going in this trajectory for Jack Crowley, that he could be the big star coming out of West Cork Rugby. 100%. Like, I, I think when you look at Johnny Sexton is a guy has such a, a huge aura as a player that it's kind of hard to imagine anybody actually ever replacing him. Mm-hmm. But when you look at the qualities that Jack Crowley has, not just on field, but the characteristics that he has in his game, he, to me, seems to be the guy more suited to it. Because, um, again, you look at, at Joy Carberry, a good player. Like, no, nobody could say Joy Carberry isn't a good player. But when you look at the personality on field, not as dominant as I feel maybe that a 10 should be for me. Um, you look at Kieran Frawley, a guy who has had a lot of people in the, the Irish media and even some of the Irish coaches talking him up as being a guy who could be the next, um, you know, the, the heir to Johnny Sexton. Personally, I don't buy that. I, I look at the way that Ireland have been almost trying to get game time at 10 for Kieran Frawley so he can go back to Leinster and play 10, where he's been used almost everywhere else. I think he has four starts at 10 
this year. Like Jack Crowley, all of his starts bar one have been at 10. And he's played European rugby at starting 10, which Kieran Frawley hasn't done, which Harry Byrne before him hasn't done. I think when you look at Jack Crowley, he has the qualities you'd look for. Look, anything can happen in a player's development that can turn them from being a guy who's going to be the guy in Irish rugby to being just another fellow who has a decent career but doesn't ever reach the heights. But I think if you look at Jack Crowley, you'd have all the qualities that you'd expect from him. He has those. Like for a guy who you'd want to be your main man, Jack Crowley, for me, has them. And it's all now about just getting it on field, backing it up repeatedly and playing over and over again and building those pictures for himself as being the primary playmaker. And I think the system monster are playing at the moment. It suits Jack Crowley down to the ground. And, and that for me is the encouraging thing. Whereas if he can nail down that at, at, at Munster, and I think that it's an open road for him to do so, mm-hmm. that he can start really building and become a guy of the scale that he needs where it's, because I think at the moment, I think if, if you're to think about Ireland right now, Johnny Sexton is the main man. He is the guy there without question. Joey Carberry is the backup to, to, to Johnny Sexton. Like, I think that's, something that everybody could agree on, right? Like Carberry might not think that way, but that's the way it's certainly been selected. Jack Crowley for me has the personality and he has the game where you're looking at even later on this year, maybe later on this season where we're looking at Jack Crowley versus Johnny Sexton as being an active battle for that shirt. I think that's more of a possibility at the moment than what it is with Joey Carberry. And if, if Ireland can even get to that level, they'll be in a much better place. But Crowley has some work to do to get to get to that level. He has to nail down that that number 10 jersey from Munster. I think he has the potential for it. And from there, once he has that, then it's just a straight shootout. And I think that he's well-placed to be that guy, like coming up and being like the most influential, the most, I, I suppose, well-known player out of West Cork rugby could, could easily be Jack Crowley soon enough. But certainly by next year, I think he's a guy who's well in with a shout of going to the World Cup. And who knows what can happen there. How does he go about so nailing out that number 10 jersey for Munster? Um, well, I think you look at Munster's system that that, that Munster have looked to bring in this season. Um, it's a big change from last year. Um, Munster last year didn't really have a set style of play week to week. It was one of the main issues I had with the team as, as the season developed where there was no Munster style. It would adapt week to week depending on the opposition. So one week, Munster would be a kind of a very kick-dominant team against somebody else, Munster would be a, a, a ball-dominant team looking to play possession. There was no consistency. What uh, Mike Brendergast has done, what Dennis Leamy have done, Graham Rountree, like they have changed how Munster train, they have changed how Munster play, and it's quite distinct. We we're going to talk about the, the Munster-South Africa game later on, but you can see elements of it in that game. What Jack Crowley needs to do with Munster is fit that system. You need a player a primary playmaker, number 10, fly, you know, fly half, whatever you want to call it. The monster system needs to have a guy who can challenge the gain line, who can beat players one-on-one, but who can also then find passes, who can kick accurately. And then you've got goal kicking, which is a completely, a completely separate thing altogether. But from, from a phase play perspective, I think Jack Crowley is the best placed out of all the three players at Munster to be that guy. Because what Munster are trying to do is similar enough to what Rassing were trying to do last season. And like Finn Russell was the guy for Mike Prendergast there. 
Jack Crowley can be the same guy here. And I think if you look at his athleticism, his ability to beat players, his ability to kind of open up his own attack. One of my main criticisms this year with, with Munster, when Munster have played poorly this season, has been when uh, the number 10 has been more reliant on passing, more reliant on kicking the ball. It's got to be all three. Pass, kick, run. That will be this system in, in complete balance. And Jack Crowley, even at the weekend, showed that he can commit defenders himself and then pass into the space that he has created. He can create his own attack and he isn't, he isn't reliant on running or hitting a, a big runner on his inside shoulder to create a compression. He can do that himself. And that's going to be the thing that will mark him out as being different from Ben Healy and from uh, Joey Carberry, in my opinion. We're going to have the Ireland-Australia game this weekend. So is the ideal situation, start with Sexton, we bring Crowley off the bench with 20 minutes to go? Ireland don't do that. <laughs> when you look at, at, at Johnny Sexton, even there against South Africa a couple of weeks ago, he was still on the field with 75 minutes gone because it was a narrow game and Ireland wanted to win it. So what Andy Farrell has done over the last four, well, three, three, three years, we'll say, has been keep Johnny Sexton on the field at all times if he's fit, if the game is in the balance. What I would like is if they started with Jack Crowley, start him at 10 with Johnny Sexton on the bench. Johnny Sexton is 37 years of age. He is the most well-known, well-scouted, well-analyzed player in world rugby, I would suggest. We know everything that there is to know about him. So why not start with Jack Crowley? Mm-hmm. Why not? It's, a, it's an autumn international. It's at home against Australia. Why not? Let's get a look at this guy with the rest of the Irish machine around him. Let's not do what, what we typically do in Ireland, which is like at the weekend where Joey Carberry was thrown in ice cold. First time he started a game in how many years or like how many months rather. Last time he started was, I think, against Italy, which Ireland ended up playing against 13 men in that game. The last game before that was against France because Johnny Sexton was injured. We're playing him alongside new combination in midfield, bunch of new guys in the pack. And then Andy Farrell after the game is wondering what's going on here. Like, why is, why does this not look the same? It can't be the same because Ireland have a set team. And when you go away from that set team, things will be different. Why not do it a different way? Why not have it where everything is the same about the Irish team? Furlong, Porter, Sheehan, uh, Ryan, Byrne, Henderson, uh, Omani, Doris, Van der Fleer, Jamison Gibson Park, and Jack Crowley. Why not do that? Why not give him that opportunity to run so you can see what he's like in that situation? And if things aren't going well, or if he gets to, we'll say, get, get into 55 minutes, 60 minutes, then you bring on Sexton. Because we know everything about Johnny Sexton. Why not have him in that, in that role for once? I'd be surprised if they did that. But it, I think it depends on Sexton's fitness because he's not, again, he's not fully fit at the moment either. But... I think that, look, Jack Crowley is well able for it. Well able for him. Throw, in, throw him into that situation. Let him play and let him develop. He's got the talent. He's got the mindset. Give him the experience to work with. That's what I would do, but I'm not Andy Farrell. So while Jack Crowley is now in the conversation, we're saying for a, a place in that plane to the World Cup next year, Gavin Coombe seems to fall down the pecking order slightly. He was part of that Ireland A um, team that... So they didn't impress against New Zealand and then Gavin was released back into Munster and obviously he played, uh, played against South Africa last week. So 
for, for Gavin, what does Gavin need to do to put himself back in the shop window, back in the frame for Ireland? Because if we're thinking of the World Cup next year, there's not too many games between now and the World Cup and the Six Nations. It's competitive and Andy Farr is not going to be the experiment there. So what does Gavin need to do, Tom? Um, I think with Gavin, like he didn't play well in that Ireland A game for me. A lot of other guys didn't play well either. My theory on this is, is that what Andy Farrell wants from his back row is not suited to what Gavin Coombs is good at. Um, you look at the way Ireland played against that, or Ireland A played against that New Zealand team. Um, the guys who were there were basically playing the Peter O'Mahony role, the Josh van der Fleer role, and the Caelan Doris role. Caelan Doris and Gavin Coombs might both play at number eight, but they're very, very different players. I think that if Gavin Coombs played in the second row, I think that he would be closer to being a regular for Ireland now than what he currently is in the back row. Ireland used their back rows quite differently. Gavin Coombs would be a primary ball carrier for me. You look at him against South Africa A, for example. He was running through two-man tackles against big men, and he was winning those collisions. Ireland don't use their number eight like that. You, you will see Gavin Coombs hitting the ball, or uh, Caelan Doris hitting the ball up at times but not to the same level that, that Munster would use Gavin Coombs in that role. Um, the, the Irish back row is kind of complementary to the, most of the ball carrying, which is either done in midfield or done, done in the second row. So for Caelan Doris, he would be a very different type of player. So for Gavin Coombs, he can't become Caelan Doris because the, even the way Ireland used Caelan Doris to defend is in sort of like on, on that weird space where it's not exactly on the edge of the forward line, in defense, but it's close enough to it. So if you've ever watched Gavin Coombs playing for Ireland, you're wondering, geez, he's in a position there where he's missing tackles. How did that happen? That doesn't happen at Munster because he defends in a different place for Munster. He defends closer to the rock, but Ireland use him further out because that's where Kellen Kellen Doris plays. And that's what that role is. Like people get wrapped up in this idea of six, seven, and eight, like a blind side, open side, number eight. Like they all mean very different things to different teams. Now each team will have a role or a job that they give their number six or their number seven or whatever else. But it's not a cliche where, okay, you're, you're, you're a number six. So you will be just tackling guys now and you'll be carrying the ball short or you'll just be in the line out. That's not really how it works anymore. You look at Peter Romani, for example, wears number six in his back, but like doesn't play like a traditional blind side. If you, if you, if you try to imagine what that looks, I think most people think they imagine somebody like, um, Dan Lydiot, when they think about a, a, tip, a typical number six, that's not Peter Romani's game. And, and that's not how a lot of teams run that now. So for Gavin Coombs, I think just he has to just keep doing what he's good at. If that means he's doing it for Munster, make it controversial when you're not selected. Make it controversial when you're not brought up to that next level. I think that ultimately what will get Gavin Coombs back into this Irish conversation is a change in system at Irish level where somebody with his primary ball carrying skills and his incredible passing skills as well. Like he's not a, he's not a one dimensional player, but I think if you end up trying to use a hammer, like a, like you would a hacksaw, you're not going to get the same results with either for uh, Gavin Coombs. He's a guy who I think his role set perfectly suits what monster want him to do. He's a, he's a core part of that monster back five for Ireland. He isn't. And, and at the moment they're looking for guys who can be good role fits with what they know works and 
it's no surprise to me to see Max Deegan all of a sudden now being talked up as being the, the next guy because he's a very similar player to Caelan Doris. They're good at the same things. They have the same physical profile. Whereas Gavin Coombs, like I said, I think would be further along if he was a second row right now because the most of the stuff that Gavin Coombs does really well for Munster, Ireland tend to use their second rows for. So that's a bit of a, a bit of bad luck, I think, at the moment. Um, but I think that things always change in this game. Uh, I think that if it's a case that there are a few injuries elsewhere, not necessarily just to Caelan Doris, but I think if there's a few injuries elsewhere in that Irish pack, they may need to rebalance. And when you're rebalancing, you're talking about, well, how do we get ball carrying into this pack? How do we get a primary ball carrier into this pack? And Gavin Coombs fits that description. I think at the moment what Ireland do, it doesn't fit with where, where, where Gavin Coombs is good at right now. But that doesn't mean he can't be involved at Irish level or have a good Irish career. I just think he just needs to keep hitting the ground running for Munster, dominate at that level, and make any omission of his controversial. That's all he can do. Gavin was one of the worst Corkman involved at Munster in Parky Cueve last Thursday night, beat South Africa 28-14. Magical night on Lee's side. Um, under lights, 41,000. You were there. Tell me about it. Was it as good as it looked on TV or is it better? Unreal. What a game it was. Like, like I was saying to you there before we recorded, I arrived down around four in Cork from Limerick and the buzz around the city was, was palpable, you know? And on the walk out to Parky Cueve later on in the evening, the pubs were rammed. Like the Idlauer, Goldbergs, they were full of people, not just inside, but outside, three or four deep. Like, it's rare enough you'd see that outside big championship games uh, with, with Cork. Mm-hmm. So walking out to the stadium, you could just see thousands of people doing the same. And, and the actual stadium itself, when I got out there, it was coming out at around half six. The scale of the place of Parky Cueve, it's a colossal stadium. But so many people, thousands of people milling around, eating, talking, to, you know, doing video calls, the whole lot. It was so busy. And when I got into the stadium, the terrace ends were both full at seven o'clock, half an hour before kickoff. I've been to a lot of, I've been to a lot of Munster games. I've been to a lot of Ireland games. I have never seen that. The atmosphere was building very, very quickly. And like just the, the, the air of expectation and excitement that was there. And it was all capped off perfectly when Munster walked out to zombie um, at the start of the game. The energy that was there in the stadium was unreal. I'll never forget it. It was a very, very special occasion. And I think prior to that game, uh, during the week, I was thinking, you know, now with a bit of COVID around the place as well, I think everybody knows somebody who's stuck in because they, they, you know, they're after picking up COVID. And, you know, the cost of living and you know, all these other things that keep people away from, from events that they've bought tickets for or whatever else. I only had people looking for tickets during the week. Now, typically I have somebody kind of going, look, I can't make it. Can I move on this ticket or whatever else? I only had people looking to get tickets. So people were up for this and it was a sellout, legit. Like, like I was there, I looked up behind me in the press area and every seat was full behind me up in the, up in the top stand, the, in the south stand in Parky Creek. All the seats were full. And when Shane Daly scored that try inside the first three minutes, it was incredible. What a moment. Like, Munster needed a moment early in that game anyway. But when they got it, the crowd were just unglued. And it was an amazing occasion. Just one of those things live 
I won't like you won't for, I won't forget that game. Just it was it was so special anyway because it's in Parky Cueve. But the way that it played out, just perfect. Just what a night. And I walked out early. I, I don't really hang around for the, the post-match press conferences. <laughs> so I was just like, do you know what? I'm going to head away, get into the car. I was surrounded by thousands of people walking out. You hear all the things about people talking about how, oh, what a game. When's the next game on? When, you know, when are, when are Munster playing in Tolman Park next? And all this other stuff, which kind of sounds like stuff you'd hear in an, you know, kind of a bad radio ad. Yeah. But it was exactly what people were doing. And just the, the success of the event, I think it'll echo for a while. Like, there's always going to be issues where people can't go to games. There's been some questions from uh, people in the media about the connection between Munster and Munster fans. I think a lot of these people are disconnected from reality, I think, to be honest, because life often gets in the way when it comes to going to a, a sporting event. There's certain reasons why you can't have a sellout every week or 20,000 people in the stadium every other week. Life gets in the way. Things are very expensive at the moment. But this is a game where the people knew about it in advance. There was excitement there. Remember, and, and it's not like Munster were cutting people into thinking that Sia Khaleesi is going to be at this game. Even that's the bit. I was looking at some of the literature for Bristol are playing the same South Africa A-side this week. They've got Sia Khaleesi and even that's in the brochure. Munster were, t- were talking the whole time about this is the South Africa Select 15. The entire time, there was no this was there was no, no dressing it up, but 41,400 people showed up anyway on a wet Thursday night in Cork, and it was a nasty night. Traffic was a nightmare. The energy that was there, um, I don't think anybody who was in that stadium or maybe even watched the game live on TV will ever forget it. Is this a spark that Munster needed this season? Like, what can Munster take the positives they can take out of this game and use going forward? Huge positives. Um, I suppose it'll only really be truly, the value of it will only really be seen, I suppose, um, in hindsight. So we look back maybe in January and think that was a big turning point for Munster. Um, what they can take from it is, is that even in really tough weather conditions where you might be thinking, this is up the jumper stuff here, we saw that Munster can play ball. Munster can put some good phases of rugby together and they can, like whatever about South Africa, a, whatever about their attacking capabilities, they were very direct. I mean, they did try to play a bit of the ball in the first half, but they went away from that fairly quickly. Whatever about anything else, they were a good defensive side. They uh, play a, a, a kind of a South African style blitz defense, which is very difficult to play around and has traditionally been very difficult for Munster to play around over the last couple of seasons. They have a huge scrum. They have a huge line out. They have a huge mall. Now, Munster struggled in the scrum, but... I'll note as well, Josh Witcherly struggled initially with uh, Thomas Detoy, a huge man. Like he was giving up. I was looking at it. He's giving, he was giving up around 25 kg to this guy, right? But he's stuck in there. No quitting this guy. No quitting Josh Witcherly. bit like Rabbit Slimani when, they, when he was playing Claremont blow down in, um, in, in Claremont there a few years ago. He struggled initially, but got a hold of it as the game went on. And... What Munster showed is, is that what they do works against the big physical side. Because whatever about anything else, this South Africa A side are a decent side defensively and they hit hard. They have a lot of big physical men who will punish you. And they had an experience. Like you look at Henko Van Wick, for example, their outside center. A lot of people talking about him being one of the best young midfielders in the URC. Before this game, you had Cornell Hendricks. Hugely experienced guy for the Bulls. He was playing in midfield, but he often has played in midfield. 
Like you look at the uh, the way that Munster were able to attack here. That's what gave me the most amount of encouragement. Antoine Frisch, game changer, ab- looked absolutely fabulous. Ben Healy looked really good, best I've seen from him this season, or I think all year actually. Um, you look at Edwin Adogbo, an absolute superstar. This guy is going to be. He is such a freak talent at 19 years of age. Gavin Coombs impressing, running into two big South Africans every carry, getting to the gain line and over it. John Hodnett, one of the best small forward, I call him small forwards, because again, just like what's an open site? There's all different de- definitions about what it is. But when you look at John Hodnett, good ball carrying, great defense. His breakdown work was so aggressive. In the build up to Shane Daly's try, uh, there was a moment where Gavin Coombs trucked it up to try and compress the defense. He was isolated. John Honda comes in and cleans out Ruan Norkia and Jason Jenkins. Two guys he's giving up five or six inches to in height, probably giving up around 20 kg to in weight, bombing them off the ball. They had nothing for him. And he was like, he, like he, was, he was being dug into guys all night. That's what John Hodnett does. Great performance from him. Outstanding, I would say. So many individuals played so well. Dermot Barron was aggressive, was nasty. Look, you look at Dermot Barron. He's not a guy who is a... He's not going to be Dan Sheehan. Dan Sheehan is six foot three, like a bit like a back row. Dermot Barron, that's not his game. He's not that type of guy. But what he can be is just a nasty, aggressive hooker who is a pain to play against. And that's what Dermot Barron is turning into. Um, I, I think they just so many guys played so well. Um, and in the conditions as well, they can be so proud of themselves. There's so much for them to take out of this game into the next one against Connacht. The biggest thing is confidence. We know this works now. That's what they'll be saying to, to, to each other. We know that this works. Keep at that. Keep the standards where they were in Parque Cueve. And we'll deal with most teams in the URC and trouble the likes. And remember, there's, there's top players to come back into this side too. This was not a first choice or a kind of even a kind of a top layer Munster side. There's so many guys out injured who'll be coming back. So many guys away from, on international duty who'll be coming back. Like the likes of Jack Crowley, Craig Casey, um, Peter Romani, Tyg Byrne. This Munster side is not finished this season. They've had a tough start. It's been difficult. But I have a feeling this could be something of a turning point. But they've got to back it up now against Connacht in a few weeks. Oh, superb. It's great to finish this conversation on a positive. But before I let you go, Tom, here in the Southern Star, I, I'm known for claiming anyone with a West Cork link as a West Cork person, like Tyke Furlong is Quiddy Island, like, like it's the Quiddy Island blood that have made Tyke Furlong the force that he is. Project Harrington's father is down from Bear, like, and obviously it's that those Bear roots are made Project Harrington so successful. Jack O'Donnell, whose father, Dad Nealis, went to school in Inniskeen. He was there for years and years. Can we claim Jack as a bit of West Cork? Are we allowed to do that? Uh, I, I think now we have to. I think that it's it's only right and appropriate that we induct him into the West Cork Mafia. Um, in a scheme, really? His father's Nevis went to school in Kill Coleman in in a scheme. So I was uh, I was contacted during the week about, about that. So it's a it's a lot of great West Cork link. It's something I'm looking into a small bit more. But yeah, it's there. So it must be it must be that West Cork blood, that West Cork breeding again. It has to be. I think it's the only reason that, that any of these guys have been successful. <laughs> I think we just have to just, just, just keep making more of them. That's the challenge now. Yeah. West Cork is the nursery for Roby Tellen. But come here, Tom, you've been super at your time again. And thanks so much for coming on the, pack, on the podcast. Thanks for having me on.
Okay, Kieran, before we wrap up, let's preview this Thursday's Southern Star Sports section. What can readers look forward to this week? Man at the moment, Jack Crowley features in this week's Southern Star Sports section. I caught up with a few people from Band and Rugby Club to chat about their one of their own making his Ireland senior debut. So there's some good stuff there on that. Looking at the GA scene with the Carberry under-21A football final. It's on this Sunday. I think it's in Clannacilty, if memory serves me correct. And it's between Ivan Gales and Lucistown. And Lucistown beat Clannacilty in their semi-final last weekend. So we have a full report and reaction from that. And in Thursday Southern Star, we also have match reports from the Carberry under-21B football final as Gabriel Rangers retained their crown. And also the Carberry under-21C football final as Clown Gale ended a 42-year wait for a West Cork under-21 championship. So I think it's it's one's, it's a Southern star that fans of Clown Gale and Gabriel Rangers will be eager to get their hands on. I also have a big interview with Rachel Welton. She's a joint captain of the Castlehaven ladies um, football team that won the Cork Intermediate title this year. Um, but Rachel Welton and Siobhan Courtney, the, the other joint captain, received Celtic Ross West Cork Sports Star Awards recently in recognition of what Castlehaven achieved. And, it was a chance for me to catch up with Rachel and and, and tell her story. Um, she's one of the Castlehaven originals and she kicked the winning score in the county intermediate football final in the 25-metre 20, free um, uh, kickoff. So good stuff there. We also have Kilmore County Junior A Football Championships champions. So we have a full report reaction from that. So there's, there's plenty going on in this week's Southern Star, um, including the... The Fastnet Rally 40 celebrations were on in Skibbereen last Saturday and Martin Walsh was there. So he, he brings us up to date on that. And also we have an interview uh, with Conor Horan and Dylan Mangan caught up with, with Conor last week to, to get his thoughts on, on Ireland going forward and especially our our Euro um, qualifying group. I think that's quite quite timely at the moment, seeing as the World Cup is just around the corner and it's going to be international um, soccer time and we also have the latest in the West Cork League and loads loads more so plenty for readers to sink their teeth into on Thursday morning Good stuff Kieran, and that will be in shops as Kieran mentioned from Thursday but if you can't make it to the shops you can always subscribe to our digital edition online just go to www.southernstar.ie forward slash e-paper and read the Southern Star on your computer tablet or smartphone for less than two euro per week thanks for listening to the star sport podcast and thanks as well to our producer dylan mangan if you enjoy these shows please make sure to rate review and subscribe on apple podcasts spotify youtube or wherever you get your podcasts slon tommel